Welcome to Series 2 of the Big Beatles Sort Out. In the first series, I, author and musician Gary Abbott, ranked all the Beatles' core catalogue releases with the help of my Beatles expert brother Paul. In Series 2, we are looking at a selection of unreleased songs and alternative versions that appeared in the anthology, songs they wrote for other artists and more. So join us as we continue to sort out the Beatles. Welcome to episode 48 and welcome to Paul along the Watchtower Abbott. Which version? D- Dylan. Hendrix or Dylan's? Dylan. Both. <laughs> okay. Both. That All is right. a good example of someone who improved upon the original artist's version, though, I would say. Yeah, yeah. the Hendrix is the definitive yeah. version of that. It's, well, it's, uh, it's a pretty definitive example of Hendrix's brilliance. So, Indeed. But we're not here yeah. to talk about Hendrix, are we, Paul? No, no, he's nothing to do with the Beatles, except for all the stuff that he's got to do with the Beatles. <laughs> yes, before we get into anything, though, don't forget you can follow us at big underscore sort on Twitter and Instagram, or email us at bigbeetlesortout at gmail.com. And please like and share our posts and tell everyone. We don't have celebrity guests, so if you're a celebrity listener, why not tell all your adoring fans? <laughs> but, all about us. You never know. We might have some, Paul. Well, possibly, possibly. Yeah. They're keeping their uh, cards close to their chest if they are out there. Well, anyway, but uh, we, we shouldn't complain, and we certainly we're not complaining because it, it is amazing that anyone listens to us, and the fact that we have such a lovely group of people who get involved with us on social media, um, and you know, a lot of people were very kindly sharing their Spotify Wrapped yeah. things with us in their it's sort of top five podcast lists. It's lovely and things it? like that, yeah. which is amazingly gratifying and, it, and it's really 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 wonderful and i just uh yeah it's very very heartening to know that there's a fantastic beatles community out there it is and and we generally are very grateful and you are our celebrities so there you go to us um paul would you like to remind us of your other podcast but i fear you haven't for a couple of weeks i think you should well i've i'd like to yeah because I haven't done anything really on them. If mm. anyone likes the Ed McBain 87th Precinct uh, Police Procedural Crime Novels, <laughs> then I do Hark the 87th Precinct podcast. Just look up Hark 87 podcast. We're nearly at the end of that, in yeah, fact. It's happy. been a long uh, sort of five-year project, that one. You had your birthday recently, didn't you? Five years. Five years since that one's been running. Once a month yeah. we do that. Uh, but uh, of more interest probably to the people listening to this is the Head Ballet podcast. There's not been any new episodes for quite a long while. And uh, there will be eventually, but I can't say when, but the head ballet is all about novelty songs, strange, weird, funny, unusual songs and music. Easy. Look up the head ballet podcast. Mm. But I would also like to mention very quickly, it'll have been out for a a couple of weeks now. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned my friend Ben Baker had written a new Christmas book Mm -hmm. called Ben Baker's Christmas Box. He's also done a mini podcast series to run with it as well called Ben Baker's Christmas Box, which if you go to... um, anchor fm and look up christmas box or you just look for ben baker on ben baker books on twitter you'll find this and i am a guest on one of the episodes ah so they're nice little sort of 20 minute episodes i think just about about people's uh, christmas tv memories essentially and so mm. there'll be a few episodes of that available by the time this episode comes out so if you haven't listened go back and have a listen to that it'll be very interesting oh good good advice and that's one i'm i need to go and listen to and i'm looking forward to um listening to can you give us a a little taster of something that was on your list paul i chose a particular cartoon i remember seeing when i was very little you were probably too young to remember it gary Hmm. um yeah that has lingered with me 
a Christmas cartoon that stayed with me, but not necessarily for, <laughs> right, for good you know, the Christmas nicest reasons. reasons. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Right. Oh, definitely get everyone going to listen to that and everything else that Ben's done as two. Um, okay, for me, I'm just the usual. Keep an eye on what's in the description of the episode because whatever song is out at the time will probably be linked in there. That's all I'm going to say. So let's go on with this Beatles Day, which should be the 13th of December, Paul. Yes. Okay. And I've selected the 13th of December, 1965, Mm -hmm. which is the day after the Beatles' final concert in the UK. So the last concert in the UK is in Cardiff. Right. So uh, on the 12th, 12th of December, they play the the final concert in Cardiff. Mm. That night, they drive back to London. Okay. Which is like, a, you know, or a driven back to London, let's yeah, say. Because yeah. that's a good three hour yeah, yeah. plus drive today. Yeah. You know, but they, you know, they finish their last show in the UK, drive back to London, go to a party in a nightclub. Because the Beatles are essentially nocturnal yeah, beings. Yeah. Uh, so they go to the Scotch of St. James, which is a place they hung out quite a lot. But on the next day, this Beatles day, mm-hmm. Paul, John and George go to meet uh, Epi, go to meet Brian Epstein in his office to discuss the next Beatles film after Help. Right. Because they are contracted to, I think, three films. Okay. With United Artists. I don't know why Ringo isn't there, given how much he features in the films at this point. Mm. Um, he was probably hungover. Probably hungover or sleepy, if the yeah. recent documentaries are anything to go by. Yes, he was a, he's a sleepy boy. Yeah. Um, but, so the main, at this point, the main contender for the Beatles' next film is a script called A Talent for Loving, mm. which is based on a novel by an author called Richard Condon. Right. Which is was going to be sort of a comedy western. Ah. And it does turn into a film in 1969 with a you know a non-Beatles cast, obviously, produced by Walter Shenson, who did produce the first two films, with music by Ken Thorne, who did the incidental music in Help. And it, it like it's got John Bluthall in it, who was in A Hard Day's Night in Help. So it was um it does come to be a film right. eventually, but it's not to do with the Beatles. They no. they basically go, nah. You know, they can't be bothered at this point doing a, a film, especially not a film like that, where it's not them. It's, you know, they'd already not been as happy with help, particularly because yeah. it was, you know, well, they stumbled their way through that. I, you know, I love help and I'm sure we'll get around to talking about the films at some point, but yeah. that's by the by. But yeah, they basically, it's the, it's the meeting where they reject the script for that. Right. And uh, that evening, apparently Paul goes out, meets up with Tara Brown and apparently takes acid for the first time. Yeah. Uh, so if uh, that's according to um, I think the Beatles Bible and the, the guy who runs the Beatles Bible website has written a book about the Beatles and drugs mm. so I think it's his, uh, his best guess about when that's happened anyway uh, yeah I found a couple of references in the newspapers to this as well so Beatles film dropped the Beatles have dropped plans to make a western comedy based on the novel Talent for Loving by American author Richard Condon which I've just said out loud and I've just repeated but in 1965 newspaper speak um, <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't do the voice yeah well i don't know yeah i don't know what a fleet street voice from 1960 uh, anyway producer mr walter shenson said last night the boys went cold on it it's difficult to fit them into a story that was not written for them hmm. so that was from the 16th of december 1965 and um and i've got a much bigger article which does feature in a picture of ringo dressed as a cowboy from a different photo shoot yeah uh, looking quite hilarious uh, which was from earlier in the year where it said Beatles to make cowboy films. So this is how it came into the Daily Mail like back mm. in February of 65. The Beatles are to star in a cowboy film. They'll have to learn to ride horses and sling guns like the bad old men of the West. Uh, it would be shot in England and Spain. 
etc. And there's quite a lot of detail. You know, the Beatles will act four cowboys who take part in an 1871 horse race, a Grand Slam Bonanza affair from the Rio Grande to Mexico City, 1,400 miles away, the prize at the other end, a glamorous girl. I'm not entirely sure that that's what A Talent for Loving is actually about, because I've never read it and I've not seen the film Mm. from 1969. But I'm pretty sure it's more about someone marrying into a family where there's a, a Mexican curse on, on the, the women in this family that turns them into nymphomaniacs. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what? What? So, uh, yeah. That, God, good, thank goodness they rejected that. That would have been a car crash, wouldn't it? That would have been... That would have been... Yeah, that I would don't know. Been it's, good. Uh, that would have been, like, the Beatles meet, you know... Um, who knows? I mean, it says things like, the Be- the boys will keep their Scouse accents. Um Author Richard Condon said, I have suggested that the British public should write to the MPs suggesting who should get the girl and have the whole thing settled in Parliament. So, yeah, okay. Um, song note, the Beatles will, of course, sing in the film and probably write their own numbers. Probably. Says the, says the, uh, the Daily Mail. What? Getting it wrong on probably all counts there. What album, because my brain isn't full of these facts and figures... So what album were they bowing out of live touring on then at the, around this time? What had they just done? What was out at the time? Well, so they haven't finished touring at this point, but it's it's December 65. They finished touring in 66, don't they? Okay, yeah. So August oh, you 66. Said, you said they live, they finished their last show in the, the last UK. UK so last, they go yeah. off, okay. So they go off, they do some more around the world, don't they, in 66. But, um, you know, so they've done help. So they're moving into Rubber Soul Revolver period. <laughs> It just would have been such a strange juxtaposition to have them in a bawdy comedy cowboy and western, you know, film whilst that period was looming. It would, yeah. have, it would have been a strange... Try to crowbar tomorrow never knows into it. <laughs> I mean, maybe it wouldn't have been a car crash. Maybe it would have been a thing of absolute... that You know, that yeah. when they actually got their influence on what was happening, kind of, who knows, but I, it feels like it yeah. was probably another bullet dodged. Yeah, absolutely, it was. But you have to remember as well, like the the Beatles cartoon that was that was around at the time. What that struggled with was the fact that all their music had moved on, and so they try to crowbar in Strawberry Fields yeah. Forever into the Beatles cartoon. Ha <laughs> ha, yes. And yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think that, that this is that where, sort of show busy side was sliding away yeah. from them. There, I think this is where people like the traditionalist Beatles fans at the time were getting, like they're going weird, you know. That, that thing that they, they they're no longer the, the mop tops anymore they're moving. I can't think about how angry George Harrison would have been to have had to make that film yeah. you know he would have just I suspect he was probably one of the key put yeah. my foot downers although he probably is the most cowboy looking one out of a lot of them yeah at times in his life he's had that kind of look hasn't he with his he's, he's wearing a lot of double denim yeah and he liked his little neckerchief thing his little necktie yeah, yes, thing. yeah, yeah. that's true that's true yeah, cool. Anyway, oh, well, that's that's so. Just um, contractually, then it did obviously lots of things change between that and Mystery Tour. Did that end up completing that contract, or did they just have to not do it? Did was Mystery no, Tour what, the third? No, I think what completed the three film contract was their appearance at the end of Yellow Submarine. Really? <laughs> oh, there's always something weird and legal about these things, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. Well, thank you for that, Paul. They're very interesting. We'll carry on then with the songs that they gave away, um, which is a shorthand for the songs that they, you know, didn't necessarily just give away, but were were picked up by other artists, as we know, that we started last week, where they weren't on albums or singles of their own, and other artists recorded and released them and tried to do something with them. 
and we're going to start off with I'll Keep You Satisfied by Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas. You don't need anybody to hold you Here I stand with my arms open wide Give me love and remember what I told you I'll keep you satisfied I'll keep you satisfied, Paul. By supplying me with beer and cheesy pasta dishes. Okay, I shall stock up on them for this weekend. Okay, yeah, well, I'll come down and visit. Anyway, yeah, we're back with Billy J. Kramer with the Dakotas. Mm-hmm. Don't forget that, the important thing. The, the group itself had their own contract, so that's why the with rather than and. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is obviously Lennon McCartney again, primarily a Paul song. Recorded on the 14th of October 1963 at Abbey Road, produced by George Martin. Lennon's in the studio while they're recording it, I believe. Okay. Uh, It's released on the 1st of November 1963. God, something strikes me a lot that we're looking at these ones, the turnaround time between getting them in the studio and getting them out. He Mm. said after waiting, you know, months and years to try and get some vinyl turn up for my own band in 2021. But, yeah, so released on the 1st of November 1963, spends 13 weeks on the chart and peaks at number four. Really? Just that high? Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, you have to... I mean, you always have to remember as well, though, once once you've had a big hit with something, and, and, and Billy J. Kramer with the Dakotas had, you know, some really good hits, mm. there's a certain amount of energy from the buying public, regardless of what comes next. Yeah, yeah, you get good, got goodwill to purchase. To some extent. Yeah. Which sounds a bit like we've, we've been down on it, I'll keep you satisfied, but we haven't got to talking about it yet. But it's, um, yeah. So it, there's no Beatles version available of this. No. So no demo or anything like that that we, that we know of. There will be somewhere because I'm sure there'll be an acetate or a tape that was made at some point to teach it to people. Mm. And I think it's a pretty catchy song, really. It's, um, okay. Yeah, there's, it's interesting. Okay, that's it's um, yeah, catchy. It's 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 going to be an interesting one for us to 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 move on. I mean, it's it's a definitely a first for me. I've never heard this at all, and that's always cool, no matter what. And also, it does mean that sometimes my evaluation because songs sometimes need a little bit of soaking in, don't they? A little bit yes. of soaking in. Familiarity plays a big part of yeah uh, of how you receive music and re-experience it. And it does. So, it. so as always with everything that we ever do, when it comes to me and scores, you, you know, scores are scores. They're just it's just <laughs> sounds like you're setting you're laying the groundwork yeah. here for some <laughs> it's strange you, numbers. Well, yeah. So I don't think it's a great new thing for me to have heard, unfortunately, but it's still new, so I always find that interesting. I'm trying to be nice and diplomatic to the song, because I, my biggest problem with this is that that the very simple melody that it's based around moves so very little, and neither do the chords that I find it a bit boring. Like um, I don't feel like it really goes anywhere. It's not. It's it's. I mean, catchy. It's, it maybe that very first bit of the the melody is catchy ish, but it it just doesn't move it along enough for me. It's almost but not quite for me, and doesn't go anywhere to be anything that's exciting me very much. I find it ex- mm. I find it extremely average. Um, 
and something that I could really see why they would go, let's see if someone else wants this, you know. Well, Paul McCartney apparently said it was pretty much co-written, although I think it is Paul primarily. Okay. Uh, John and I sat down and purposefully wrote it for Billy in a couple of hours. <laughs> well, it sounds like but it, it too. But he does say, this, is, this one is one I still like. I find myself whistling it in the garden. Okay. And I think I think it has got quite a good tune, actually. I'm I'm pretty fond of it. To be honest, the other night, well, after I'd done a first pass on my notes and research for this, yeah, I was trying to get to sleep, and it was going round and round in my head. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah. I, this might be one. The reason I caveated all this is because I write my notes, and unlike the court catalogue, where I'm hearing these songs, those songs mostly for like <laughs> I've heard them many many times before. These ones especially are very new. And I think this one did stick with me a little bit. And so I'm thinking we might be catchier than I really gave it credit for in my first pass at it. Yeah. But then there's also something to be said for sometimes a song can really hit you around the chops and you're like, whoa, that's good. (laughs) You know, Um, I don't think... I want it to have had hand claps in. That's what it should have had. But then I think most songs should have hand claps in type thing. So... I think also... I don't think the midsection is different enough and I don't think that the first section is strong enough in it, in and of itself. Um, and this is one where, unlike last week when you told me George Martin had a problem with Billy J. Kramer's voice and his performance and I didn't really know what his problem was. I can hear it a bit in this one, I think. The, yeah, there's a couple of slips on the double tracking. Yeah, and then you well. hear his voice alone. You think, ah, okay. But I will say, and I think this is important to note, um, the Billy J. There's quite a lot of live versions of this you can hear on YouTube, mm. like playing it at like the enemy poll winners party and stuff like that, and it rocks. Okay, you know they play it. They play it faster, which I think is important. In fact, there's a version that's literally it's less than a minute long, okay. like where they cut out like a verse and a solo and stuff. Uh, and stuff. And they do. It's like the end of a thing. He does it like an encore with the band, and it's like a punk version. It's like fifty second, fifty eight seconds long. Yeah. And it's like, well, you can see why this is good. You can see why Billy J. Kramer's good. His voice is great. Okay. Um, So it is a much better song live, I think, than it it turns out on the recording. Although there is things in the recording I really like. Yeah. I mean, there's bits I like. I do think it's it's got, um, it's it's not not catchy. I just don't think it's it's catchy enough to carry it all the way. And I do like the little descending passage at the end of the kind of eight bar phrases that that, that make up the verses. Yeah. but I just, I don't know, my first impression of it was that it's just quite average. Um, so I gave it 50 for music. Mm. Mm. <laughs> production then. I, I wasn't so worried about the production. Um, other than there's a bit of soupiness about the piano. Is there a piano in the background with the, and the guitar? And they're kind of all being a bit soupy. Well, I think I think it's interesting in the production of this is I was thinking, has this got a 12 string on it? And then I was looking at the dates of when it was done. So mm. we're still in you know late 63 and i was thinking well if they had a 12 string that would be before george harrison got a 12 string and then i was listening thinking about other dakota's records and billy j records and thought yeah this actually sounds like this on a quite, quite a lot of that stuff okay so i went researching mm-hmm. um and it's not a 12 string I, I found actually a book about rick and back of 12 string where they've talked to um um uh, what's his face uh mike maxfield the lead guitarist from the dakotas okay and it's about how he doesn't have a Rickenbacker 12 string. What they did a lot of the time was he would double his guitar part an octave higher. So he'd play two guitars. Yeah. He'd overdub like right. a slightly detuned higher octave. 
to get that ringing sound that you associate with a 12 string. Okay. And of course, what they've also done there is they've doubled it with piano as well a lot of the time. Right. So you do get quite an interesting sound. It just never seems to have the clarity Doesn't, that a Beatles the... recording has. But then these these songs and recordings haven't been treated historically, archivally, wow, with the same it. care and attention. Yeah, that's true. It's, they've not been remixed uh, half a dozen times by this point, have they? They're just, yeah. we're just hearing often. They weren't preserved as much so. Yeah so early on but it is again it's george smith uh, george martin and norman smith in the studio saying well let's try something different here let's 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 double the guitar an octave high let's try detuning it a slightly to yeah. get a, a slightly phasey effect so okay so it's got some innovation in it oh well uh, yeah even if, if you don't like it <laughs> the, the bass and the drums are nice as well i think they they're they're tight sounding solid that that bit of the range sounds okay i just think there's a bit of girl gets lost around the guitar and the double piano and that probably because if it's two guitars and a piano and it's not been treated very well since then to keep these things nice and split and eq'd maybe that's why the doubled vocals as we said do split noticeably at some points and sound a bit weaker than they have in some of his other songs and that's could be a production point if you're sort of thinking about the, the the producer saying no 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 do it again <laughs> no. yeah. um so i'm going to give 52 for production Oh, right. I thought it was better than some of the other ones for Billy J, but never mind. Well, what do I know? Well, what and what do I know, to be honest, you know. Um, lyrics, then. So, uh, I mean, standard, if possibly bordering on the controlling lyrics. There's, there's, I know this, it's not what it was intended to be, but you could read this as having quite a lot of mansplaining about why he should stay with him. A lot oh of, yeah, believe everything that I told you. Yeah. Yeah. You don't like need that. anybody. Remember what I told you. Don't go away. Agree with me. These are all phrases from, if you take out the words between it, it's very much, um, it's kind of coercive. Yeah. Um, Remember what I told you, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah I've not thought of it like that, actually, Gary. That's an important. Because the thing that stood out to me is obviously I'll keep you satisfied is a slightly suggestive yeah. sort of title, isn't it? And also, you know, it's, obviously straight yeah. out of From Me To You. Keep you satisfied. Yeah, yeah. You know, which... Yeah, yeah, there's a few little things like that that pop up in, in these other things where you go, oh, I know that... Um, <laughs> I yeah. know that lyric or that line from somewhere. Yeah, or, or little bits of musical nods, yeah. I, they're not, I don't think they're that, they're that great. So I'm going to give them 43. Oh, right. Yeah, I, I'm not so fussed on the lyrics. I think the other two things, are other aspects, music and production, should have scored a little bit higher, but, you know, it's hey, your score. Insist- hey. But I, I, I do like it. I would love to have heard Paul singing it. Yeah, I think this one could grow on me it, more so than it did in my first sweep through. Yeah. But, um, so, hey, you know, this is, this is it's it's still, it's always fun to... to um, to dive into them and to see what kind of a, what it draws out from first impressions and how those could change over time. I mean, you could almost do the entire Beatles core catalogue again and come up with new scores just from having done it now. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, and now having spent some more time at the kind of let it be get back region of end of things, thinking you know I think I like these things a bit more than I did. <laughs> so um, you know, hey, it's just for guidance. It's just for guidance. And there's no Beatles version, so we won't have to t- listen. We won't get to listen to that because there isn't one. Yep. So that's that. So we'll go on to the next one, Paul. Have you done the final score, Gary? I did, 48.3. Did you? Well, I have now. Right, okay. Well, no, before we go on, that's what I'm checking because before we move on, I do want to say actually that um, I was faffing around before we started recording uh, mm. because I was looking for a reference. 
So Billy J. Kramer's still alive, so William Ashton. Oh, right, okay. Um, and he has done a GoFundMe. So GoFundMe.com, um, if you go on that and look for Billy J. Kramer. And it's I mean, it's quite sad, really. Um, I mean that in the emotional sad, not yeah. not him doing it is sad. Um, it's, Hi, everyone. Billy J. Kramer here. I'm sorry to say these are sad times for me. His wife um, died of a heart attack a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um and it turns out I'm in need of some financial support until I can get back on the road again and earn a living. Uh, his wife was a good part of the family income, and under her gone, it's hard to make ends meet. Mm. So he doesn't. He's saying I don't want to do this, but my friends encouraged me to set up a GoFundMe mm. thing. Um, uh, you know, so we can get through until, as he says, when we can all be together again and I can do what I love and do best: entertain you all and rock on stage. You know, so it's. Um, if you search for um, William Ashton or, or Billy J. Kramer on, on GoFundMe.com, he is trying to raise money there. And um, I can understand why he, it reads like he's a bit embarrassed to ask, and I can mm. understand why. But uh, yeah, so that's a sadly um, topical thing to have to add to that. But, you know, hopefully if anyone's listening and wants to, you know, help out, then they now have that information, don't they? So there we just go. Just don't tell him what... Gary's just ranked. Just, just, <laughs> I'll keep you satisfied. Oh, my. You should have glad you didn't tell me that before that, that whole thing. <laughs> I don't know how I feel now. Um, sorry. Sorry. We'll, we'll move on to the next one then, which is I'm in love, the foremost. I've been longing to tell you I'm in love. You believe me when I tell you I'm in love with you. You're my kind of girl. You made me feel proud. You made me want to shout all around. I'm in love, Paul. That's nice. That's that's a nice state to be in, really, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Is this the laziest song title the Beatles writing team ever came up with? I'm in love. Yeah. They, they could have just said love. Yeah. I suppose. All you need is love. Yeah, I mean, there's well, I mean, there's all you need is love in the abstract, universal sense, and yeah. then there's just I'm in love. I'm in love. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's as yeah, Lennon McCartney. It's primarily a John song, this one, and we know that this because there's a, a demo of it on the the bootleg album, the bootleg 1963 album, where he's going through it on piano. Although it does sound like there might be some other people playing on there as well. Mm. This is recorded in Abbey Road, produced by George Martin in October of 1963, by The Foremost, as you see. Mm-hmm. So we talked about them in the last episode as well. Yeah. It comes out on the 15th of November, 1963. It's in the charts for 12 weeks, and it peaks at number 17. Yeah, okay. So it gets into the top 20, but um, only just really. Mm. And... There's some things I like about it quite a lot in mm. the music. There are a lot of things I'm just not fussed on with this. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I think we're, we're a bit more on the same page with this one then. All <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> not the, the last one. The, this, uh, yeah, I think that's that probably is, is a way of putting it. The, um, it starts very dramatically, doesn't it? It's it's. Um, yeah, it does. Yeah. And it starts quite. Uh, non beatly for for a beetle writ pen song almost a bit more like the animals or something as a feel to it yeah it sounds like the animals try to do something like um like if if yeah some sort of she loves you type opening yeah yeah but yeah it is a bit different a bit rawer and 
yeah, stuff like yeah, that. absolutely. So it's got some nice bits in it, and the harmonies throughout are, are really nice. But it does seem to kind of ramble about with no clear direction. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. have anywhere to hang its hat, does it, as to what the bit that you're meant to come away... Like the last one, that first phrase, that's the song as much as you need to know about it from that point. You're jumping yeah. off from... This has that intro and then it goes into another bit and then it goes into another bit. It has a strange kind of folky, moody feel to it. Folky, rocky, moody feel to it in places. And then properly rocks out. Almost like I want to hold your hand in places. And then sometimes like this boy in others. And then it sounds like no reply in other bits. And it starts like she loves you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it's like someone swept up all the little discarded bits of the proper Beatles songs. Like when they've gone, let's drop that half that bridge or that chord linking there, but that doesn't work. And they've just swept them all together and they've stuck them all together and they've put some nice harmonies on it and produced it, you know, however. But it just, it never quite is one or the other thing. I can't make it out. Mm. Does that does that sound about right? No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's possibly because the foremost, you know, despite having a couple of big hits, mm. they, as a band because they were never a serious band and i mean that in the sense of they larked about they were deliberately funny on stage and okay. all that sort of stuff so they they had a humorous aspect to the way they did stuff and i talked about that in the first episode a little bit uh, first episode of this sort of block of stuff we're doing it feels almost like they haven't committed right okay yeah uh, despite like you say the nice dramatic bit with the sort of snare rolls in the intro and mm. there is some chords in it I like. It does this nice sort of swap between the E major and the C sharp minor type thing, which mm. is a, which a the nice this boy, the this boy sounding bits. Yeah, well, yeah, that kind of do what called progression. Even. Sort of ends on the minor though as yeah. well, so it sort of hangs in the air quite mysteriously. Um, but yeah, it's I don't know. It's just like I think you've you've summed it up there. It feels like um, it feels like they're ruttling the yeah. Beatles, aren't they? You know, they're they're trying to. Be, but even though it's written by John. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> except it, it was a Beatle. He's doing he's ruttling himself. Yeah, but then I, I, we'll get onto it, but having heard the little bit of John doing it that we can hear, I think it's more about how they've decided to interpret it as well. I think we said this in the last episode, I think, about the foremost song, where the, it was very much arranged to kind of go, This is a Beatles song, by the way, please buy yeah. it, because you can hear from what we're doing that it's got some I think they ended one of their songs a bit like the Please Please Me ending or something, and this one ends starts like she loves you, you know, after the use kind of that they sing, and then they go into something that Yeah, they they're using those kind of suspended chords, letting them hang like the end of Hard Day or the beginning of Hard Day's Night. All sorts of stuff that's just like little nods, but because this song doesn't have a core that's that they're they're putting their effort into. You don't really get one thing or the other out of them. Um, I can I can't imagine the Beatles doing this if they hadn't have given it away. I can imagine no. them writing it and then it appearing well, on, a, a, on a bootleg and them going, you know, this isn't working somewhere. We've overcomplicated or we've under something's not right. Let's and then them just putting it away. So I guess that makes sense that maybe they did that or maybe they. Do we know if this was like specifically written or just do we do we ever know that kind of thing or I'm not sure we know for this one no. here. Um I suspect this was probably have you got anything for someone else, John? Yeah. But um I I haven't noted that down. I suppose it's not always 
available that bit of knowledge I think I think they're doing a, an alright job of it myself though I, I, I think the singing and the playing and the feel isn't really as big of a problem as the kind of fundamental lack of a clear hook. oh hang on sorry Gary it's um, uh, oh. yeah Lennon said in 71 me I wrote it for the foremost okay so it was written but he him. seemed less definite in later interviews mm. okay so maybe yeah yeah um, yeah, I just think it lacks a clearly defined hook. But other than that, you know, so I'm going to give it 54 for music. Yeah, the voices always blend well at the foremost. They're a great vocal group. Yeah, I think the harmonies are good. Yeah. Um, and production-wise, I like the way it sounds. Given that it feels like five songs in one, they've kind <laughs> of managed to pick a path through it that seems to work across the different ranges needed. I yeah, li- yeah. I like the echo that's being used in the moodier sections. And when they pick up the pace, it doesn't lose anything for it. So they've managed to, to as I say, just find a, a, a median production feel to it that seems to suit this song that goes to different places. Um, I think it's tighter than the last one we listened to. And I like how they've balanced the vocals because it's. it sounds like it should. It has a classic sound to it. Just it's not a classic song. I think that's what the problem is. Yeah. That's fair enough. Do you have anything? I've just written standard George Martin pop production. Yeah, but then the last one was George Martin, and I don't think that went this that that delivered as well as this one does. Well, because they were perhaps because they the were pioneering <laughs> the last one, and yeah. it, and therefore that doesn't always pay off as well. Uh, fair enough. Maybe maybe I'm giving this one fifty-seven for production. Right. Okay. Lyrics then. Um, um, I'm trying to bring them to mind but i think it's just a bag of yous and do's and girls and worlds and isn't it i'm in love you're my kind of girl you make me feel proud you make me up to shout aloud yes i'm telling all my friends i'm in love yeah i mean fair enough with a sentiment that's nice although it does sound like it'd be a bit annoying this guy <laughs> going around oh by the way i'm in love oh right okay well can you just give us you know the Two shillings for your groceries or whatever. Um, yeah. Two shillings. I don't know. I don't know money <laughs> from then. Um, yeah, I can't sleep at night thinking of you. Every little, every little thing that you do. Every little thing you do. Yeah, talking about lines from other Beatles songs. Yeah, other Beatles songs. It's all uh, doing you and woo and Lou. Yeah, it's just got that weird bit of if this is love, give me more, 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 which is a bit sort of like he's going for a. I'm talking about John writing it here. Yeah. He's going for a sort of... Da, da, ba, ba. It's quite show busy for John, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a nice kind of lyric and musical bit, isn't it? A feature which sounds better in his little bootleg, but then it... I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a bit like the music. It just kind of sweeps up bits of lyrics that have been chopped off other songs and then sticks them together again. Yeah. The song's called I'm In Love. I mean, what do you expect? <laughs> it's they've not even really gone for Unless that. it's called I'm In Love with a robot overlord from Alpha J337. You know, it's just going to be I'm in love, 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 yeah. girl, you do thinking, who, love. Who. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have 41 for lyrics I've given it, which makes it a overall of 50.7. That leaves us with just a little listen to the Beatles version. So let's have a little listen to that now, Paul.
So this is mainly just John on the piano knocking around the idea, it seems. It's not even the full beginning to end, is it, from what we've got? Um, no, just... he hasn't worked out all the um, all the lyrics yet, anyway. No, it's not every bit of it. It's just the main main bit, if there is a main bit. But it makes more sense at this stage, like he might have refined... Well, all, the section, all the sections are there. Are they? Yeah, the sections are all there, but it's not got all the lyrics, so... Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's John. It. It's John yeah. doing a very dun 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 sort of very basic piano. It's hard playing, to tell but... that all the sections are there because he's just doing the same thing throughout, isn't he? Rather than all the the, the rise and fall of the fully produced version. Yeah, yeah. And he's just kind of like a few bits he hasn't got words for. But it kind of makes more sense at this stage, hearing it in this at this at this stage, that he might have gone on to refine it further and develop bits of it. But in the end, it seems like he kind of went, "No, that'll do." Here you go. Here you go. The foremost. Here's what I've got. Do with yeah. it what you will. I think the thing with the Beatles version is you get John sat at the piano singing, and there's a point where he runs out of words, and he go, he's doing it, and he goes, "I'm telling you," and it suddenly it's like, "Oh, that's John at the piano." Yeah, that's John Lennon playing the piano, making up a song or singing a song, you know, and obviously, imagine is his most famous solo song, "John at the mm. Piano." Yeah. And so there's a, it's amazing that this exists. Yeah. No, it's always great to hear, as I think most people listening will agree, that getting to see an insight into their process or hear an insight into their process as it's happening is yeah. wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Someone should make an eight-hour film of this demo. <laughs> yeah. And we'd watch it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> over and over. Um, okay. So let's go on to the next one, Paul, which is... A World Without Love, Peter and Gordon. Please lock me away And don't allow the day Here inside where I hide With my loneliness I don't care what they say I won't stay in a world without love A World Without Love, Paul. <laughs> Some might say it's here already, Gary. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh sorry that was a stupid thing uh yeah i've known this song a very long time this mm. one actually because i think it must have been on a compilation or something possibly that reader's digest thing must um be. yeah so this is primarily a paul song mm-hmm. so recorded on the 21st of february 1964 at emi studios abbey road produced by norman newell who is george martin's equivalent in columbia records so this doesn't come out on Parlophone. This comes out on Columbia, which is a an EMI label. So, you know, Norman Newell was the A&R man for Columbia. Mm-hmm. Okay. Accompaniment directed by Jeff Love. It comes out on the 28th of February, apparently. Apparently a week later. Okay. Um, on Columbia, it spends 14 weeks on the chart. Two of those at number one. Mm-hmm. It's also number one in Canada, Ireland, New Zealand, and the US. So they're the first people to have a number one in America with a Lennon and McCartney song that aren't the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And it's Peter and Gordon, as you, as you said before. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm going, oh, I'm interested in what you think about this song because it's a song like I've, I think we've known this a long time and possibly because yeah, we, we mentioned the Beatles complete keyboard piano player book. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of the ones I remember playing from that. Yeah. And it may be because I knew I'd heard it on a, 
LP or something did like we, that. Is this one that you made me learn maybe once and we played Possibly, it? because it was fun to try and do the little bits of harmonies in it, maybe. Yeah. It's quite an easy one to do the harmonies on because it's Peter and Gordon. It's two male voices. Because this is, this is one that I would have challenged anyone up to a few years ago to a duel if they told me it wasn't a Beatles recorded song. I'd go, no, it's a Beatles song. Of course it's a Beatles song. I Except have, if you then had to try and think of the Beatles recording of it, you wouldn't be able, wouldn't to, be able to because it doesn't exist. Mind. Yeah. yeah. But then listening, this, and this is the bizarre thing, is listening to this version, that's not what I've got in my head either. So, but I'm really familiar with it. So we, I think we must have just played it a lot, maybe. Yeah. And, we, and I think know, you can hear Paul McCartney through it. Oh yeah, it's you know, it's very totally. easy to hear this in your head as a Beatles song in your imagination. It's just not easy to pull um, a version because there isn't one. <laughs> they actually did, yeah. but I love it. Yes, yeah. Well, uh, Peter and Gordon, obviously yeah, yeah. A, a duo. Mm-hmm. So this is our first duo we've come to. Peter is Peter Asher, who was Jane Asher's brother. So obviously, in the early mid sixties to late mid sixties, Paul is seeing Jane Asher. Yeah. Uh, living with the Asher family and all sorts, and, and Peter Asher later goes to work for Apple as an A and R man, and then stays on in the in the music industry and record industry mm-hmm. to this day, essentially. Okay. Uh, he met Gordon Waller at school, and so they formed this duo very early on. Mm. So it wasn't like he went, "Oh God, my sister's seeing a Beatle. I better form a band and get some songs." They already were in. A they, band. they already existed yeah. as a sort of singing pair. Mm. Um, this is and this song itself is a very early Paul McCartney composition. Okay, so this is this is sort of Paul age sixteen type thing that he tried giving away to Billy J. Kramer and he turned it down. And yeah, I don't think it'd have worked for Billy J. Well, that's maybe I can sort of imagine it. Um, and yeah, but it's also the one that when the Beatles tried to do it, they couldn't get past the first line because every time he'd yeah. sing, "Please lock me away." John would just go, yeah, all right. And they'd just crack up and that would be it. So it ends up going to someone else who can actually get through it without um, without breaking into laughter. Well, I, that's, I, I love it. Um, I really like it. So, yeah. So apart from just, again, this might be familiarity, but I, I, I think it's a really good song. It has what I think the last two songs have lacked a bit. It's a coherent, engaging and charming melody that we would expect from a McCartney-penned one of this kind of yeah. time. Um, what can really confuse things, though, is I, ve- I often get this mixed up with Till There Was You, which is hmm. it make, makes it things very confusing because that's the Beatles doing a cover, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. So I, I get this song that the Beatles didn't do, <laughs> but did confused write. with a song that they did do that they didn't they, write. Yeah, yeah. And they are very... I understand why, though. I understand why. They're very similar in places. You can... It's the it's the sort of... Not that music, uh, the Music Man and, and Till There Was You is a particularly a folksy sort of thing, but there mm. is because there's that sort of more of a reliance on the acoustic sound, which is sort of in with Peter and Gordon a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and a folky sort of sound. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, they're similar tempo, similar feel, kind of melodies, and in places you could imagine they could they they could be um, combined, and you would if they were put in the same key, you, they would move into each other's sections without there being any. It wouldn't sound wrong, but um, 
Yeah, I just wonder how much that influenced the writing of this one because, you know, they're like, they, they, yeah, they, yeah. they're playing songs by other people and they're thinking, I can do this. I can do a bit of Well, well I like to say, this, he, he was writing this in, when he was 16, so this is a song he wrote in the 50s. Yeah. So this is... Well, again, so he'll be writing what he's listening to. So he's listening to things like Till There Was Youth, if that was around at that point. Um, I can't remember. And then writing something that's like, yeah, it's a bit like that, you know. But it is, it's lovely. Um, it's amazing that this is written by a 16-year-old. Actually, it's a bit sickening. <laughs> of course, Till There Was You was around by then. Yeah. It was, yeah. So I reckon this... I wouldn't. I, I think there's a link. Although I think the Beatles thing didn't hear it until the early 60s, so I might have to... No. Yeah. Either way, it's very nice. This version musically go well I say this version but this must be the version I've always listened to yeah, um, this yeah. version as opposed to our version yeah, our, yeah, no heard and we can't even remember they go for the organ and jazzy guitar fills and is it timps or low toms doing some stuff or well, I'm not tom? sure necessarily that it, that it is but possibly there's possibly. a heavy bass guitar being oh, well, I mean that's the weird thing that stands out is that really bum bum bum, bum yeah bum 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 and it's really f- up forefront yeah, why is it? You know, in a way it, that it wouldn't be if it was a George Martin production. Yeah, in my mind, a nice little kind of like acoustic-y song version is what plays in my head when I listen to this. Not that big, stomping, heavy bass. But I like the kind of, they've made that decision and it, they go, go with it. The, the Peter and Gordon sing it very nicely, which you'd they hope do. they would. And the jazzy guitar verges on points of kind of random improvisation, but then some very nice bits here and there, which... which are, it, lo- it locks in nicely with the organ and guitar yeah. Together, I think because you've got an, an arrangement because they're not a band; they're a duo with a, a an arrangement yeah. group that's been done by uh, by Jeff Love. Um, yeah, I think somehow it does work all together, and it does have those little twiddly bits that make it interesting. The voices don't harmonise as much in this as I remember them doing. Mm. And I think if Lennon and McCartney had actually got together and done it properly, they would probably double dual harmonies all the way through. Yeah, but um, here they just have that nice moment where the voices split. But because the voices sound so nice together, it's it doesn't feel like you've lost too much without harmonies. Yeah. Okay. And the organ solo, it's hard. It's always hard to hear a kind of a drawer organ sound solo and not just think that it's a little bit novelty and funny. You know. A bit, a bit jazzy, loungy sort of thing. Yeah, it makes you, I don't know, something funny about it. But I like it. I think the music and the uh, is great and the actual composition of the song musically is great. I'm going to give it 75 for music. I think it should get that just because it does the E to A minor chord, which I always like when they, in a song where you do the first to the fourth, I think mm. is in this as it would be, but you'd make the fourth a minor chord. It makes it very enigmatic. Ooh. So, production then. Um, I, I think I like how it's produced more or less. We've talked... I think the choices of instrumentation put it in a certain place, which is kind of, you know, the arrangement. How, how are we going to back up Peter and Gordon? What, who's, what are we going to do to this song? I'm not so sure... I've said about the organ sound. It, well, not the organ sound like the actual organ that they're playing, but actually how it's captured. It all it kind of wavers towards the thin and tinny in places as a result of that organ yeah, sound. And it's it, the register that the organ's being played in with the voices and the trebly guitar and the clicky drums, it can all get a bit in a certain range, do you think? Yeah, I, well, I know what you mean. And you could get into all sorts of talk about why 
that might be to do with you if you've got guitars operating in one frequency range you're trying not to wash them out with using like a keyboard in the same frequency range mm. or vice versa and things like that or whether that's just standard production technique for the time i've not really got much to say on the production i think it's again it's norman newell he knew what his job was to capture this sort of thing and he was doing it all day every day like george martin was yeah working so, jobbing producing like yeah it could be better but not bad 55 for production i'm giving it yeah okay lyrics then so this is more like it i think again please lock me away <laughs> yeah i remember you telling me that john thought the lock me away bit was hilarious but then didn't they use it didn't he then use something a bit like it in the end in one of his songs uh, i'm pretty sure we talked about that and i can't think what it is off the top of my head mm. now but yeah i'm pretty sure we identified a point where he did something very something similar like something like um run for your life yeah where, where he's got a line which is a bit like um you better lock me up or, or something like that yeah. which you were saying well it's not that funny then if you've used it um but but I don't mind that line at all. I think it's so much better than the usual words to have a lyric like, please lock me away and don't allow the day here inside where I hide with my loneliness. I don't care what they say. I won't stay in a world without love. That's a great line compared to, I'm in love with you. What would I do for you? You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Please lock me away. Lock me, don't allow the day. Yeah, I like it. A world without love is a great line. It's a great um idea you know and it's 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 in its own smaltzy way trying to say i don't want to know about a world where you're not without you in it it could be you know it's it's smaltzy and cheesy but it's it's lovely and wonderful and suits the song down to the ground the two are perfect for each other i like that it's got a, a line about birds singing out of tune keep that in mind the birds in this song Okay. This song contains birds. This Remember song that. Contains birds. Yes. Singing out of tune. And something moon. What's the next line? Oh yeah, Sing it's <laughs> well, I mean, you've got tune and mune. 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 Rain clouds hide the mune. <laughs> um which are very, you know, moon, june and spoon yeah. type thing. We did so we had to moon and june last yeah, yeah moonlight and June it's light, the lyrics you fall back on when you don't when you know you don't have to try because every yeah. other song's got them in birds and are becoming the new diamond rings actually in these last couple of episodes but yeah. um okay oh yeah the, the only thing i've got a, a question for you um what what is it you think they say that he doesn't care about uh i don't care what they say what, do they, what is it? Do you think? What do you think it is that they say? Oh, that's a good question, that isn't it? I don't care what they say. I don't care what they say. I won't stay in a world. Is that they're the saying, they're saying? You must stay saying, in a world without love. Yeah, stay in this world without love. <laughs> I don't yeah. face it. Yeah. The rest of us miserable sods after. <laughs> yeah. That might be it. It might. That might be it. The, the people saying, you know, give up on your dreams, and you say, I don't care what they say. Like that, that might be what what he means. Anyway, I'm going to give it 65 for lyrics because I think they're good lyrics for the song. Which, strangely, gives it 65 overall just on average. So okay, that's nice for it, isn't it? I would like to mention at this point, mm -hmm. right, uh, this is from Disc Magazine, 28th of March, 1964. And the headline is, We're not trading on the Beatles, say Peter and Gordon. 
And it says, two young men who met at public school and became interested in music together are now riding high in discs charts. Um, their lyrical singing on the hit A World Without Love sent the disc soaring into our top 30 with a jump of 16 places at this point from 26 to 10. And the disc could climb even higher in future weeks. As we know, it does. It does. It's an international number one. Mm. And it says then, it was written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. And this has no doubt played a large part in its success, right? Mm. But, said Peter, Peter Asher, brother of actress Jane, we don't want to trade on the Beatles' name. We feel it would be better not to, so our next single will almost definitely be a composition of our own. Was it? Well, ah, keep listening. <laughs> yeah, watch this space. And we have a Beatles version. We have a McCartney demo, don't we? Um, yeah. Which is... Um, yeah, well, let's have a listen. So it's it's kind of a bit grainy and very brief, but it's there. Yeah. So that's the version he did to to give to Peter Asher to say, "Here's a song." Oh, cool. And Pete was saying to him, "Have you got anything? And if you're going to give me this song, can you finish it?" <laughs> but that's yeah. Peter Asher revealed that he had this recording, and that's where it's ended up being bootlegged from. Oh, okay. I still can't believe there's not a Beatles version that they did on the BBC or something. It just feels like it's a missing, like I've imagined it, but it just does, Paul. It just does. Yeah. Um, so, okay, we'll go on to the next one then. One and one is two. The Strangers with Mike Shannon. One and one is two. What am I to do? One and one is two, Paul. Well done, Gary. Have you been helping uh, your daughter with her homework? Yes. Well, no, she's been helping me with my business intelligence analysis. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's easy for you to say. (laughs) Right. Okay. So we're into new territory here, a name that's perhaps much less familiar than any of the ones we've talked about. The Strangers with Mike Shannon. It's another with, you notice there. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. but I won't. It's not Mike Shannon yes. and The Strangers. I don't know whether it's for the same reason in this case, but hmm. this song, One and One is Two, which is a Paul McCartney song primarily, uh, it's probably recorded on the 20th of March, 1964, if the info I found on YouTube is to be believed. It comes out on Philips Records. Hmm. It's released on the 8th of May, 1964, and it did not chart. Did it not? No. I wonder why. Okay. So, there is a, a, a bootleg of the McCartney demo. Mm. That, we'll come to that when we get to it. So, The Strangers with Mike Shannon, It's uh, they were essentially a South African band. So, a bit like Billy Jay getting together with, you know, the Coasters and then the, the Dakotas afterwards. It's a similar sort of setup. They I couldn't find out much about them until I found loads about them. <laughs> it's one of these things, if you find the right little niche portal you'll find mm. a good bit of information and obviously uh, because they didn't have a load of hits especially you're not in, in america or the uk there's not much to find about them they're, they're, at one point they were called the rhodesians you right. know which is obviously a south african political relation name thing rhodesia um uh, then they were called the diamonds at one point as well and 
you know, they came over to the UK to try, they were quite big in South Africa. Mm. And um, so they come over to the UK to try and have a hit and they're all a bunch, I've got one photo and they are, they just look like a lot of any beat band, you know, a bunch of some white men with brill cream mm. type thing. And um, yeah, this is, they, they produce this, they get this off uh, Flennon and McCartney, essentially McCartney. And um, it sinks without a trace. Mm. I reckon this would probably be one of the most... Ob- well, it's not going to be the most obscure one we look at in this little series, but okay. it will be one of the most obscure ones. Because it's not even on Spotify. Well, exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is if you are um, using our Spotify playlist link, you won't find it. But you can find it on YouTube, so we'll make sure that's in the episode description, so you can fill in that gap. I don't know if it's because Spotify don't have deemed this fit for release in the digital era or because no one is in charge of this catalogue. Yeah, I just don't think it's been collected on anything that's gone. I, th- I think it is on some, like, um, you know, there are sort of independent record labels who put together these obscurities and things like that. And I think some of that stuff's been put onto YouTube, but it's never got as far as Spotify or mm. anything like that. Which is, um, which is interesting, seeing as it, given its provenance. Yes, very much so. But going into the music of it then, I mean, we've kind of gone back to the same problem as the, well, not it's not as bad as the, no, no, sorry, this is worse, sorry, than the first one. In that the melody starts off and remains in a kind of a zone that doesn't really go anywhere for me. One, one, two, that's it, you've got it, that's the song again in one phrase, you're not getting anything else. Yeah, it's funny because I actually, I mean, I don't particularly like this version. I'm a big fan of the song as a song. Okay. I'm not a big fan of this version of it. Uh, but I was just thinking then, as you were saying that, you know, when we were talking about Teddy Boy. Yeah, yeah. That's and about circularity. McCartney sometimes just goes round and round. Yeah. When he hasn't thought of an extra bit. And sometimes it happens on a macro level, like the Teddy Boy, which is just mm. like uh, being on a on a a fairground ride that you'd want to get off mm. a little bit and this is like in the in the tune itself it's a bit round and round round and round especially when it's being done with very little panache yeah although you can hear them i think you can hear them trying to push the interest with an octave vocal over the top of it and a bit of just trying to make it out like we're having a really good time here aren't we us singing it and you listening but i don't think that yeah. anyone is it's a very basic music and a very basic melody. Yeah. I think the only way they could make it work... Oh, yeah. If it was... Yeah, the only way they could make it work is if it was a real proper screamer and started in a higher... I mean, in a higher part of their vocal range, but a higher part of the chord as well. You know, when you're picking a melody that goes with chords, you have a choice as to kind of where to start it. And sometimes, if you don't pick it in a very interesting part, it'll just... It's just, you, you know, it won't be a very catchy melody you know i think well i don't know that's why i think the the mccartney demo is so fascinating because he he somehow finds it in it because he's written it well we'll have to compare they don't in this yeah well well, yeah i don't hear it in their version anyway um and yeah i think you'd have to really even if they were singing the same note but just a higher like they put an octave vocal on top of it haven't they? There's a, there's, there's a, they're singing in unison, an octave up and an octave down, which tends to mean, 
I, well, I say this like, like I know, but I tend to find if I'm writing a song and that happens, it means that it's probably not in the right key for the person singing it. You know, it, if you can sing both ends of your range, you probably want to push it so it's pushing you a bit maybe. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's just a bit tepid rock and roll going through the motions behind a middling vocal. Yeah, and the and guitar it's sort of solo. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> this is probably the worst guitar solo I've ever heard. You're going to tell me after this that the guitar soloist has got to just give in sight on it out there because, aren't oh, you now? But this is one no, of the no. worst, worst. It just, it's just wrong, isn't well, it? Uh, well, the problem with this, the whole song is it just peters out at the end. The ending tells you everything you need to know about this song. Hmm. Is that it just sort of goes, comes to a sort of rolling halt. <laughs> yeah. it's like oh, oh the song's finished we were still playing it how is it finished <laughs> and everyone's just sort of independently gone oh this song's run out of fuel yeah. the, but now yeah. this is something I find very interesting Gary mm. hold on to your hat if you've got some extra hats put them on hold on to them too right. it's rumoured or it is reported that it is Paul playing bass on this right but yeah. I just can't believe that that, I mean, yeah, McCartney's perfectly capable of playing the bass that you hear on this. But it's just like, I can't believe he would have come away from this going, well, that's all right. That'll help him. Because it's so like... Yeah. yeah. Unless I mean, he sort of like played the bass and sort of backed out of the room, like saying, no, enjoy that, lads, and uh, never call me again. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, I mean, it's, there's nothing particularly wrong with what the bass is playing. It's, 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 no, no, it's just... It's just it's hard to part of the whole boring mix. Yeah, it's hard to describe really the fact that how this doesn't work. It just doesn't really work. There's not someone's going to love this song, aren't they? This arrangement, and they're going to get us. Well, if that was the case, I've already said this about various Beatles ones that I think people would have been more annoyed about. Um, yeah, I'm going to give it 43 for music. Yeah, it's just it's just so standard R and B rock and roll that they that any band could at the time could do. They oh yeah, backing vocals are a bit scrappy. Also, you know yeah. it's yeah. So production-wise, I mean, if it was a better song with more energy, you could forgive the terrible guitar solo that kind of... I mean, it really is bad. Um, I might have to make that the clip that you will have heard by now if you're listening. I don't know. But if it, if I haven't, do take the time to go and listen to the song just for the guitar solo. It starts off all right, but it just ends up like, oh, no, no, no. These, these notes have nothing to do with what's going on now, but... But the, the whole thing is kind of flat, and I can't tell if it's the lackluster material or anything to do with the production. Um, the music feels a bit backgroundy to the singer, if you know what I mean. Mike Shannon. Yeah, but it, like the production. That's what is with is with us earned yeah, him. Yeah, like he's you know, like he's not part of it. I don't know. Hmm. That's not the main issue. The production isn't the main issue with this song, though. It's still... No, but all I've just written for production, my notes are one word and it is just the word boring. <laughs> right. Well, I'm going to give it 56 for production because it's it's not, there's nothing, yeah. anything about I it. I suspect I'm just, be, yeah, whereas what I've called for the other ones, standard pop production, I'm here, I'm calling boring. Mm. But again, it's a different studio as well and I don't like the sound as much, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's worth mentioning, like, so just on, in terms of the song, before we get into the lyrics. Yeah. It was offered to Billy J. Kramer, who said no. Okay. It was offered to The Foremost, who said no. And then it was given to... It ended up in the hands of The Strangers with Mike Shannon, somehow. Um, but they did give it a try, but as singer and lead guitarist Brian O'Hara remembered, 
Uh, McCartney came into the studio and played bass on it, but there just wasn't any meat in the song and we couldn't get anywhere with it. Mm. So, so they put it out but it, anyway. ended, but it ended up coming out. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, maybe they just thought, well, we've gone to the effort now. Why Why not? Um, small run, who knows? Um, although in those days, you'd have to have a, a run of something. Eh? It's just... Well, it's Philips. It was, you know, it wasn't a tiny record label. Mm. They, but... mm. Well, there we go. Um, I gave it 56 for production, just in case I didn't say that before. Lyrics then, I mean, the words give a clue as to how basic this is as a song. <laughs> they are literally the words, one plus one is two. Um, one and one is two. One and one is two. Two and two is two. Three and two is two. <laughs> it's not much of a jumping off point for a lyrical masterpiece unless you're four years old and the next line is going to involve poo. Uh, in which case, I, I know a four-year-old who'd find that hilarious. So, um, 40 for lyrics. Very generous. Not much to say. I mean, one and one is one and one is two. Maybe I'm in love with you, kind of thing, isn't it? It's just yeah. Ju- it's just he's got a convenient. Again, it's like a title in search of a song. He's given himself the the two sound to do you yeah. Start heart. And actually, even though you were joking then about the one and one is two as the kind of like a, you know. The, the the times table so as it were you know one plus one yeah, is two yeah. two you could actually have made this into a kind of 80s 90s school disco classic if you glam rocked it up and actually made that the point of the lyrics maybe that's what this song needed oh this could be your your this break my, this could be my way in <laughs> um I'm, yeah 40 for lyrics which gives it 46.3 overall okie dokie so we do have this McCartney demo Paul so let's have a little listen to that one and one is two, one and I do Now that I'm in love with you I'm hoping every day I'm gonna hear you say You really make my wish come true So what strikes me about this, Paul, is that Paul McCartney, with just a guitar on a little condenser mic-y type of recording, whatever it is, sounds better than what... <laughs> What they ended up doing. Yeah, I think the thing is, Paul's voice is so good on the demo, is what I yeah. what I was trying to get across before. Especially when he does the... Can you feel when I'm holding you near? Yeah. Which I can't do properly there. I'd have to really belt it out. Which which makes something of a pretty lacklustre set of lyrics. Yeah, which they were able to do. All the things I do. This is type what, thing. And yeah. That bit's really good in McCartney's version, isn't it? I think this is where I said I think it needed to be rock, rockied up. You needed to. If the Beatles had done it, Paul McCartney's stretching his voice to sing. Not massively, but it's he feels like he's, yeah. It, it, it's, it needed to be more energy, rockier performance, and it could have got away with it, maybe. It wouldn't have been one of the best ones, but you would have been passable, I think. Yeah. Strangely, considering how much we've been down on the song. And this is one that I could hear... A little bit more if they'd have gone I think it, full you know, twist there's, and there's shout all, Yeah, yeah. There's always a a wish for there to be a proper Beatles version of all of these to exist, yeah. isn't there? You sort of want them there to be, and this is, I think, one that actually, if there was a Beatles version, you'd go, you'd forgive some of its sins. Yeah, possibly. But, yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay then. Well, let's move on to our last oh, song. Oh, 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 no, oh, quickly, 
Go I've on. got a tiny bit of Mike Shannon info from the period. Okay. Tiny bit. Okay, so from one of these um, websites, where I actually managed to find something out about them. It's just a little review of this coming out, and I think this is very telling. It says Mike Shannon, a thumping, wallowing, wallowing, <laughs> a thumping, walloping beat even sets the scene for the latest John Lennon, Paul McCartney composition, One and One is Two. So the first paragraph doesn't even say the single from this band yeah. and singer. It says this John and Paul song. Yeah, he's only told you singing it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Opening as a unison vocal by the Strangers, it develops into a solo voice showcase for Mike Shannon with Liverpool type, oh yeah, chanting in the background. But then it says in bold text, on first playing, it didn't strike me as one of the Beatle Boys' greatest numbers. Well, it's not a Beatles number. Mm. It's a Lennon McCartney song. But after three spins, I found it was growing on me. The catchy simplicity of the lyric enables you to join in. Okay, so that's that's our yardstick now, is it, for music? <laughs> we can yeah. we can all join in after listening to it twice. After you've listened to it three times, then you can remember the words one and one is two. <laughs> <laughs> Although, having said that, I, I said one plus one, so I'd already got it wrong. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Uh, well, I, did, but I haven't listened to it three times, though, Paul. I probably haven't listened. Well, no, I must have. Maybe just about three times. I may not have got through it three times <laughs> in my notes. Um, right then, final song. Nobody I Know, Peter and Gordon. Listen to the bird who sings it to the tree. And then when you've heard him, see if you agree. Nobody I know could love you more than me. Nobody I know, Paul. Nobody I know, Paul. I know you, Gary. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. Nobody I know. It's it's a Paul McCartney generated tune again. Okay. Because it's gone to Peter and Gordon. So, yeah. like we said before, they're not going to rely on the Beatles for their hits. Oh, the next one's a Lennon McCartney number. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So this uh, was the ne- this was the next one after that. Yeah, so they yeah. they, they, <laughs> they mustn't have just. Oh, I suppose it's quite a hard choice. If maybe you're, not, I don't know what they are like as songwriters. I don't, I don't have any context, but like, if they were a bit like, can't quite get this song right. Oh, we've got a Paul McCartney song here. Which yeah. one do I go with? So anyway, it's recorded on twenty first of January nineteen sixty four. Um, again. Norman Newell and Jeff Love producing for EMI mm. on uh, Columbia Records. It comes out on the 29th of May, 11 weeks on the chart, but only gets to number 10. So it's not a follow-up number one. No. And there's no Beatles version of this t- to, um, not even a demo to talk about. But this is more Peter and Gordon as a folk duo, I think, really, the way they've arranged it by this point. Yeah. It's got a sort of um, 12-stringy acoustic sound to it and a few more nice little harmony moments yeah. in there as well. Yeah. it's So when we I saw that there was another Peter and Gordo one, I thought... Um, Gordo? Are you Gordo. Yeah. Mates. Yeah. Uh, Pete and Gordo. Um, Gordo. Gordo. What's Gordo? Stop saying Gordo. I know. I'm... I, I, I feel like Gordo is from something like Mortal Kombat or something, but which is completely changing. I might be finish him. Yeah. Um, no, when I saw that's how their sets all ended, <laughs> and then they ripped each other's skulls off. No, um, when I saw it was another Peter and Gordon one, I thought, oh, maybe this is the next world without love. Which, funny enough, is exactly what it was meant to be. I guess. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realise it was chronologically literally the next one they did. But after about 30 seconds, I think I realised it wasn't going to be that. Um, I mean, some of these this week are, are suffering from my being new to my ears, you know. And yeah. I do find them interesting no matter what. I must, I must stress that. But I think it's a bit of another miss for me again. Right. It's a promising start with the main verse melody. But the chord change that happens after the first couple of repeats takes it to a forgettable place. I find it confuses matters. So I kind of like the first eight bars of the verses. Then it goes a bit weird. Then it goes to another key altogether. It doesn't quite change enough in the melody. And then I feel like the whole record has been cut together with another take and the, there's some weird pitch shift or something that goes weird. Do, 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 do. And it surges strangely and a bit strange. Then there's a key change, which only really promises another minute of this kind of repeated thing, which is, it was, it's, it's the McCartney roundabout again. It's kind of his blessing and curse when it goes wrong. Because his blessing is yeah, that, that yeah. This, this, his ability to write something that has to resolve to your ear leads to things like Penny Lane and stuff like that, which keeps on moving. It has to resolve, but it resolves to the next thing and the next thing. And then when it comes back again, it's still interesting. But when it isn't interesting again, it just gets into this, like say, like you just sang there, mad magic roundabout loop of madness. The guitar riff that answers the vocal, ding, 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 gets annoying. The tempo's dragging. I don't like it. I don't like it. Oh dear. What do you think? I'm not a mad. I'm not mad keen on it as well. It's um, again. This is another one I knew from being in the Beatles Complete Piano book. Oh, is this one in and there? And I played it a few played it a few times. I think it's in there. Why haven't you got it with you whilst doing this? Every I, don't time? Know. I keep re- referring to it because you've got a copy. I haven't anymore. Um, and I think I played it a few times, but just couldn't get a feel for it. No. In a way that World Without Love. It's because it's not. You got, can. It's not. It's just nowhere near as good as World Without Love. It's yeah. Nothing like. And so it. you know, McCartney has essentially written it for Peter and Gordon at this point, and. Yeah, I don't know. It's it, yeah. it's a number, you know. It's a number ten hit. Yeah. You know, it's better than lots of songs. I think some of that is coming from the McCartney Lennon yeah. McCartney label. Though by this point, and the expectancy of um, you know, what the, the the wake of World Without Love should I say? Yeah, I think I'm going to give it forty four for music. I don't think it's right. bad. I just don't like. I don't think it's. I don't think that they're doing anything particularly wrong with what they've got. I just don't think it's, I think it's a bit basic. It's basic, basic Paul. Like, yeah. here you go. I can write a quick melody, but yes, you can Paul, but you can also write really, really good melodies as well. That but if you're going to do like, that, you're not going to give it to your, yeah, you, yeah, exactly. your girlfriend's brother. <laughs> Maybe what, what year was this <laughs> again? This was 64. Mm, not quite towards the end then. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> it wasn't like, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to give her a brother. Oh, you only gave us a number 10 hit with this one, McCartney. <laughs> yeah. It's production-wise, then. There's something off with it. I mean, this doesn't help as well. There's something off with the production as well. It's, I don't know if it's just my ears, but it feels like there's two takes stuck together and that there's a bit of... Oh, there might be. There there's might a bit be. of... I, um, didn't, I didn't spot an obvious edit point, but I wasn't listening for that particularly. But, you, uh, you know. I, if something sounds wrong to my ears, like it, I almost hear the tape 
speed change uh, about halfway through. Before the key change, which is obviously a musical change, there's like something where it seems to go a bit weird. Well, it's entirely possible. You know, these things happened in the studios all the time. And, you know, you'd have... Yeah. Beatles things were often well they were you yeah. know bits sliced together yeah, so I mean, which, which is just something we pull out in production when it happens I, well, generally the guitar is too loud and annoying and the voices are not as well kind of put together as they are in the world without love I think they're a bit trebly and thin sounding even when they're locked in together um, yeah it's, I think it's the, the nature of the song and what other parts are going along with it I think it hasn't got that low end of the world without love Base that that had, which balances the thinness of the rest of it. Yeah. So I'm going to give it 48 for production. I literally have no notes no in production. Notes. That's what I felt about it. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. Thought 48 for production because I think it might be a little bit broken. Mm-hmm. Lyrics then. Um, birds. Is this why we need? Yeah, to remember there birds? they are. That's what I wanted you. To... But in this case, you've got to listen to the bird who sings it to the tree. Yeah. And you've got to overhear them, haven't you? To see if you agree. So you could be standing nearby whilst a bird goes to a tree. I don't think birds, when they open their gobs, their little beaks, yeah. they don't they're not going, Do you know what, this tree looks a bit sad, I'm gonna sing it a song. Yeah. Um or, you know I, you I really it to do other f- birds. Yeah. Yeah, not just to trees. They're going, There's a cat down there or I'm here, bring me some food. Yeah. Uh, not, oh, hello, you've got your bark's looking nice today. But I, I think, because he says, tell it to the birds. Listen to the bird Listen. who sings it to the tree. Yeah, so I think that what the bird is like, got a message or something about, I think that you're overhearing the bird who's saying to the tree, like, she she likes him. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's it, because it then when you've heard him, see if you agree. Well, exactly, so yeah. Like, well, do, you, do you agree with... Well, yes, Mr. Bird, you may you raise some very salient points. <laughs> I mean, this is, I think what's happened here, us being silly about this, is because that line is, is. it feels like this is all filler lyrics to me. Yeah. And it's ended up being on the song, and it's... it's ah, yeah, I just, I, I've never gotten with this. I remember reading it in that book, and obviously mm. not having anything to refer to, because I certainly hadn't heard this. Mm. By the time you know, by the time I'd seen the sheet music for it, and just looking at it and trying to play it, and then there's like the, it means so much to be part of a heart of a wonderful one. It's like, where's the meter going on that one? It's wonderful one. Yeah, and things like that. It's no. I'm afraid this is a dropping off point for McCartney. I think here. And this burden tree-based communication system seems highly dubious to me. I yeah, think I don't I, think it's an effective I, means. And of, it, they uh, are becoming a message across. Yeah, birds and trees are becoming the new diamond rings in some of these songs. We've got them in "Bad to Me." We've got them in "World Without Love," and we've got them in this. Yeah. So, but unlike those songs, this doesn't have the kind of overall charm. So it just sounds a bit crap. <laughs> kind of, you know, standard. Kind of like, but I think you're right. Like, just some words to fill in the blanks, and he's gone. Well, they'll do. Uh, not a weird bag of words, just rubbish. So, forty-five for lyrics, which gives it forty-five point seven overall. Mm. And as you say, we have no Beatles version, do we? So, no, we can get straight onto the chart. We have our top ten of non-Beatles Beatles songs. 
So, so I shall do that. So now. we've got, we've done, uh, yeah, we've done the two episodes. Two episodes. Now, so we have ten songs. Yeah. So I'll just do the full Ooh. ten whilst we're still in manageable numbers, and they go a bit like this. At number ten, tip of my tongue, Tommy quickly. At number nine, nobody I know, Peter and Gordon. One and one is two. At number eight, the strangers with Mike Shannon. I'll keep you satisfied. Billy J. Kramer with the Dakotas is number seven. I'm in love by the foremost at number six. Hello, little girl, also by the foremost at number five. Love of the Loved by Scylla Black at number four. I'll be on my way. Billy J. Kramer with the Dakotas is number three. Bad to me. Billy J. Kramer with the Dakotas is number two. And at number one, Peter and Gordon with A World Without Love. There we go. So I think of this episode, I think one of them's dropped to the top and the rest have all sunk to the bottom. Yeah, um, it's been a funny one, really. I, like I say, you know, had there been extant Beatles versions of some of these, you might think more hmm. positively about them. But um, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think um, I'll keep you satisfied. It's a possible mover if I hear it more, you know. Yeah. I'm not so sure about the others. Um, okay, well, thanks again, Paul. That's right. we another five next week. And uh, we'll see you all again soon. Thank you very much. And thank you very much again to everyone who's shared their um, their pictures of us on your Spotify chart. It means a lot to us. It does. Bye-bye. Remember to listen to the birds. Thank you.